you're carrying different articles of gear you have a whole checklist of everything from uh, a shelter that has to be able to be put up um, in terrible blizzard conditions uh, you know you need a pot you need fuel to be able to to melt water um, tons of first aid and and before the race they go through all your every single team that's out there goes through a checklist and even if you don't have one article that's on that list, like, no, go, you can't go. So, um, yeah, it really does highlight, like, <laughs> if your teammate's binding blows up in the middle of, you know, 20 miles in the mountains in the winter, it's a totally different, um, you're dealing with a totally different thing than if you were to do, like, some some summer event where, you know, someone could just, you could just, easily hike out and go to a car or someone will take you back to the start of the race. But here, if you're, if you get caught in a blizzard and you get lost, and it's a whiteout conditions or someone's feet just start freezing up. And I mean, all that kind of stuff could happen really quick or even like something as simple as a, a pole breaking. I mean, you rely on your pole so much because they're literally your stability and they help you they help you traverse. So like even a pole, if that were to break, you have to have a spare pole basket. There's so much stuff that could go wrong. So that was Ian O'Banion, a lifelong friend, um, my brother, my best friend, um, and my co-host, Mike Howard, um, we just discuss the experience Ian had on the Grand Traverse. And this is a 45, 46 mile schema race. It starts at 12 a.m. and you traverse all the way from Crested Butte, Colorado to Aspen, Colorado. Um, you have to pass over, you know, these 14,000, 13,000 foot peaks. Um, and you have to bring all of your supplies, your food, um, your equipment, your safety gear. Uh, so we dive into kind of Ian's experience through this and his training kind of coming into it. Um, he previously has ran the Grand Traverse, um, but he has never skied it until this year. And so it was cool to see how he kind of prepped not only his physical body, but his mind to, you know, ski from Crested Butte to Aspen. And growing up, this has been like, the only the baddest of badasses did this race. And um, now one of my best friends is, you know, has accomplished it. So we dive into this um, in this episode. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy. Before we dive into it, um, you guys know Moxie Nutrition is one of the sponsors of the podcast and one of the sponsors of Confluence 928 Off-Road Team. Now Moxie Life or Moxie Nutrition has a few different options for your hydration needs. Um, and my personal go-to is Hydramag. Um, and I use this on a daily basis, um, either first thing in the morning or before I go to bed. And it also makes a great tea. Um, but it's this passion fruit mix uh, that is so good and it dissolves really well. So there's no chunks. And that was one of my biggest pet peeves with other 
other hydration companies I would use is just the chunks you would get in um, in just the the bottom of the bottle and stuff. So um, Moxie Nutrition does a really good job of making sure that it dissolves equally and so you don't get those chunks. But Hydromag, it helps my everyday training, my recovery, and my overall mood. Um, if I had a few beers, you know, I just drink a little bit of Hydromag and wake up feeling great. Um, also, Phytolite is my on-the-bike go-to um, with Osmocarb. So I, I kind of do a little mixture, two packets of Phytolite, and then I top it off with a good amount of Osmocarb. And what this is is just phytonutrients um, with the powder itself, and it's also just electrolytes. So you're getting a bunch of good um, sources of things that your body utilizes during these major major training blocks. Um, and the Osmo Carb is just giving my body those extra calories that it needs um, and the carbohydrates to sustain you know a longer effort. Um, but yeah, guys, um, if you are interested, go to the show notes uh, at moxienutrition.com. Um, at checkout, just type in all caps STOKE podcast and to get your 20% off. Now, let's dive into the episode. This is Ian O'Banion, my co-host, Mike Howard, and we discuss just what it's like to dive into these ultra events. I got Ian O'Banion, <laughs> lifelong friend and co-host, Mike Howard on. Little backstory, we all grew up together in Gunnison, Colorado, and uh, and Ian just did the Grand Traverse, which is um, yeah. Nordics, would you call it Nordic skiing? Yeah, well, there's three different races on the Grand Traverse. There's the the run, the bike, and then, yeah, I think it's a, I think the way that they uh, classify it is an adventure race. So it's not like, it's kind of like schemo racing but longer distance so it's an ultra schemo event nordic skiing i think is just cross-country skiing so it's a little different but there were a few people that were i saw like three groups that were cross-country skiing the whole thing which is insane really? <laughs> yeah 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 pretty crazy just some old like just old school cb and uh aspen locals oh yeah my God. of course pretty crazy nice. So it yeah. was 44 miles or something like that? Yeah, it's like, I think it sums out to ride at 40 miles, 8,000 vert, just Damn. a long day. Yeah. 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 And, and for everyone who's listening too, it's like you started at 12 a.m. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You start at 12 a.m. That's the different thing about the, the winter event is... So the summer ones start, you know, first thing in the morning before the sun comes up. This one, you're waiting around all day. And this year, we didn't really know if the race was going to go through until one o'clock the day of. And so just because the the conditions in Crested Butte and Colorado this year have just been insane with the amount of snow and like the guy that was announcing before the race happened said that Crest View is just getting 
midwinter conditions right now in I mean it's April it should be spring so the way that that plays out with the snowpack is is really interesting like it's just conditions that they it's the 25th anniversary of the Grand Traverse and they said that they haven't had conditions like that the entire time they've been doing the race so Damn. Um, yeah it starts at 12 o'clock at night you just ski all through the night and then hopefully you're there before 12 the next day <laughs> yeah wait do you know yeah. why you start at 12 like t midnight instead of in the morning is it better like snowpack right yeah i think that's the idea yeah that's the idea because um just like any race like ultra event there's checkpoints and so they have timed um checkpoints that when you have to the last person can cross that checkpoint before they get disqualified um and so yeah if, you know the the majority of the climb for people that aren't familiar is you start in crested butte and then this race ends in aspen um so you go up and over the elk mountain range and um the majority of the climb starts, you know, when you're starting in Crested Butte, majority of the climb is from the town of Crested Butte, Colorado to Star Pass, which is kind of, it's not your highest elevation point, but that's, you're getting a lot of the elevation done in that period of time. And that's like only 17 miles of the race. And so you're at that point, you're not even halfway, but um, it's a good, if you can make it up and over star pass, it's a telltale sign if you're going to be able to make the rest of the race or not. And I think um, the reason they started at 12 is because, you know, if you can't get up and over star pass by the time it's at least a couple hours into daylight, then the rest of the race does go through some, some avalanche terrain and things can get really dicey from there. Just condition wise and snowpack. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, like later in the afternoon, if, if you're out there skiing, it's just like climbing a mountain in the summer. You know, the good rule is to be off the mountain by 12 o'clock mid later afternoon because you just don't know what weather is going to come. And same thing with with backcountry skiing. Like, you know, if you're out there at two o'clock and especially this time of year when it's really getting warmer and the kind of snow that we've been getting, the snowpack can get really dangerous yeah so yeah and you had a and you have to go with a partner for the ski yeah yeah that's why this one is so so fun because it's uh a lot of these like ultra endurance events it is kind of mono mono like you're you're with yourself majority of the time you may do it with a friend but it's really highlighting like a team a team aspect in this race which i think is interesting it's really it makes it more more fun yeah totally but so, yeah. you also rely on your partner too so if he or she goes down or bombs yeah. like that you know you really have to kind of let your race kind of go and really focus on making sure that they're okay which is crazy you know because most ultras don't have that <laughs> yeah yeah it is pretty crazy because you spend all, all this time, you know, training, 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 you spend months training and like, it's just 
normally in an event like that so many things can go wrong just with by yourself but now you're adding another person and so you're carrying different articles of gear you have a whole checklist of everything from a, a shelter that has to be able to be put up um, in terrible blizzard conditions um, you know you need a pot you need fuel to be able to to melt water um, tons of first aid and and before the race they go through all your every single team that's out there goes through a checklist and even if you don't have one article that's on that list like no go you can't go so um yeah it really does highlight like <laughs> if your teammates binding blows up in the middle of you know 20 miles in the mountains in the winter it's a totally different um you're dealing with a totally different thing than if you were to do like some some summer event where you know someone could just you could just easily hike out and go to a car or someone will take you back to the start of the race but here if you're if you get caught in a blizzard and you get lost and it's a whiteout conditions or someone's feet just start freezing up and i mean all that kind of stuff could happen really quick or even like something as simple as a, a pole breaking i mean you rely on your pulse so much because they're literally your stability and they help you they help you traverse so like even a pole if that were to break you have to have a spare pole basket there's so much stuff that could go wrong so it really is a miracle if you can get out of there without any terrible things happening <laughs> yeah so. and that's like you know a lot of the audience you know who probably listen to the stoke podcast are cyclists yeah. and a lot of them yeah. do kind of bikepacking stuff so yeah but what's so crazy is like i'm sure everyone can relate to you know a mechanical going wrong and if it's yeah. 75 degrees you usually aren't stressed out but i mean if you're in midwinter and yeah. like you only uh you went and only like a windbreaker and a long sleeve like mm -hmm. if something were to go yeah. wrong and you stop your body movement like you'd get cold quick i'm sure really you can prepared like with a bigger down down jacket but your feet yeah. need to repair a binding or you know, if you lost like your outer edge on your right ski, you know, it's like you got a big chunk taken out. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just a complete different way of handling it. Yeah. And during the race, uh, my partner's skin um, froze up. And so basically it just it got kind of saturated with water when it was warm and then the bottom of his skin froze. And so you have to bring a spare pair of skins with you. And so he slapped those on his, his skis, but they just were not gliding at all. And he couldn't get his, his other skins to, to unfreeze. And so something as simple as that, that just like really put us, it, it slowed us down significantly. So, um, and then like something as simple as, as, and something that you don't think about too in the winter is like your your bladder freezes up or the hose on your bladder freezes mm -hmm. up and so my partner could not his mouthpiece froze up and he couldn't get water for like two hours and we were just kind of slogging through the tundra and finally like i looked back and he was just like i 
I got to get some water. So he like had to undo his backpack, pull his bladder out and just start chugging the whole thing. Um, so yeah, just little stuff like that. Super interesting. Got it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> to compare that to, I, I know a lot of people that listen to this probably are, are doing more cycling, but you know, that is relatable to something as, and, and especially when you have a bike or something that all of those gear malfunctions can, can definitely set you back. And so being mentally, that's where the mental side of all of this stuff kicks in is like, you, you really have to train to mentally be prepared to handle those types of situations um, effectively instead of freaking out and just losing your cool, you know, it's yeah. so important. Oh, and, uh, yeah, it's just, and it's so hard. To, I mean, cause I, I, I'm not really in, I, I got backcountry skied, you know, but to yeah. do something like schemo racing, I would be so lost if my skin froze, I would not know what to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's uh, i don't know if you've ever heard of uh, like volley straps uh, like they're these it's like it's literally just this strap that has just it's kind of like a belt but it's real small and so oh yeah yeah, back, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so for backcountry skiers that's like the go-to if your skin busts or your your binding bust or your boot has a malfunction you just wrap a volley strap around it Hopefully that'll make you through to the end. Oh, Damn. yeah, yeah, yeah. Slide that well, can it? Did he have What's to do, have to do that? No, we didn't have to do that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you would lose all of your glide and be out there for a while. <laughs> After that, you'd just be walking, trudging through the the winter tundra. Yeah. Oh. Snowshoes on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh. So. I'm interested, like, I want to hear your preparation, you know, because you kind of came into it, you made an executive decision pretty, pretty late. I mean, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't like you had six months to prepare, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, you helped me out a lot. I had several conversations with you guys yeah. uh, just before the race on um, preparation wise and, and, uh, I have another, we have a mutual buddy, Jack Starkybaum, who uh, did this race last year. And so I got some information from him, but I think he was right. And that he basically just said, like, there is only, it is really hard to get out there and do the, the type of training you need to do to do this race on skis. Basically, like on a bike, you know, if you had to do 40 miles, I feel like you could easily go out go bust out 40 miles on a bike you know or go run but on skis like it does make it more technically challenging because if you i mean you could go ski on some flat area for you know a long a long training day but um to be able to get the amount of elevation and the experience that you're going to do in this kind of ski race i found that really hard um, especially living on the front range. I live in Longmont, Colorado, which is like plain land. And 
there's mountains to the west, but you know, it's it does make it a little bit harder to to get out there. And um, so training was, I found just running a bunch was was really good because, and we had talked about this just because I was using you're using similar muscles and the movements are are very similar as you know when you're gliding on skis you're just doing this like sort of forward motion um similar to running so i found that super helpful and then um i just found this really cool trail that was just like right outside of longmont that was um you could go out and do like an easy 22 mile day just skinning it which was really good and i think the the most important thing was just time on feet we talked about that just putting Wait, so in tons of time and boots i want to stop you there you said yeah. 22 mile skin <laughs> yeah <laughs> 22 miles skin. yeah all right so i feel like <laughs> wait yeah no that's great training that's great training yeah. but you know you're you're putting skis on and and just skinning up this trail for like is it 11 miles out and then you ski down mm -hmm. out no it's um so i knew just from doing the run before that it's the race is very, very gradual there's not like the steepest part is right at the top of star pass there and um so there's a, a lot of just gradual ups and downs and so this trail that i was training on was perfect because there was lots of rolling and up and down and so no like 11 miles out 11 miles back but there's just as much ripping skins switching gear that nice. whole thing throughout the whole day which yeah Dang. It took a long time like the first time i did that it was like a six hour day of training and that kind of blew my mind because i'm like i i was planning on ending the race in 12 hours and so when you're when you're all busted up and you have blisters on your feet just because you're there's no way you can get your feet used to being in ski boots for 12 hours, you know? Yeah. So that I learned a lot from just doing those training events. Yeah. Yeah. And both you and you, so I'm talking Mike and Ian, they both ran yeah. the Grand Traverse in 2020 and you did it yeah. the year before. I did it the year before. And I mean, we got a bunch of ultra people in the house. So like running, yeah. Running 44 miles is insane to me, but what was the difference between actually skiing it and running it? Yeah, the biggest thing, I mean, Mikey can probably say the same thing. Um, you haven't done the ski, but just the running is so pounding on on your body after a while. Um, skiing, you're gliding a long way. So mentally uh i felt like that was the the big difference there instead of pounding each step especially the you're down. just climbing yeah especially the down that that's like like i'm already like i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and go do it next year like i'm so stoked to, to go do it again after doing the run you know i was like well maybe i'll do that again maybe not but the skiing is like i and i've been skiing we've been skiing our whole life so to yeah. be able to go downhill after you climb is just such a treat. That's so nice. <laughs> I know, but what was it like, you know, at hour yeah. uh, nine when you had to take your yeah. ski? Go ski. <laughs> was uh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, 
because so this race um you know you basically the last nine miles you traverse this long ridge richmond ridge and then at the end of that nine miles you're kind of uh i think like 34 to 36 miles um it's just never ending i mean mike knows we talked about this like there's seems like a hundred hills up and down and up and down they just never end and you're just you can literally hear so the end of the race ends right at the base of aspen ski resort and so you can hear everyone down there partying and you can hear music and stuff but <laughs> it seems like these hills just never end and you're just oh my gosh like one more mile to go and yeah when i ripped my skins at the very end there 34 miles and then went to ski down you know legs were shot like there's just no way you can train for that kind of thing i feel like and so my legs were shot there's people jerry's all over the hill trying to ski and you're just like trying to dodge everyone just trying to make it to the finish line um so yeah that was like the end of that race the legs were hurting for sure oh yeah i bet that was yeah. the hardest part for me what you were explaining yeah. you hear everybody at the end and like doing the run i was like crying going down yeah. Cause it would fucking it hurts so bad. Sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to cuss on here. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be cuss. That was the worst part for me. It was being able to hear everybody, and my legs were totally broken, and I just started yeah. going downhill. The yeah. Whole... <laughs> I yeah, like it was so. Hard. I had the luxury of of being able to ski down, and I was as I was skiing down, was thinking about if I like had to run the end of this no go like that was just running down a ski resort rocky (laughs) ajax is steep because you're at the very like start like the gondola goes right up and you go straight down ajax yeah all the switchbacks that that was the worst part yeah yeah you did the bike when like what what did well, I guess you didn't do the – we did it the year that you don't end in Aspen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So for yeah. 2020, I mean, Aspen, the county of Aspen, they they closed the the town. So you, yeah. you couldn't go from point A to point B like the normal years. You had to go from point A in Crested Butte downtown, and then you had to finish in Crested Butte, which was a 52-mile loop. Um, mm-hmm. And I heard actually that that was actually a harder – route than the actual grand traverse because of the i mean you climb to the finish line instead of descend to the finish line you know because it's like that big loop so for biking it i don't really i don't have that experience of doing the point a to point b which i wish i could but i mean the grand traverse crested butte colorado i mean it was brutal i mean and and plus that was my first ever mountain bike race you know so i didn't really come into it with experience it just fucking sucked (laughs) it just slapped you in the face yeah Yeah, i mean for anyone that's interested in in challenging themselves in that way i feel like the grand traverse would be it's a it's a great race look into it yeah and if you're a skier if you're a runner or if (laughs) you're a cyclist i mean there's you you do all of them it's called the triple crown yeah that's savage yeah you start in Crest Butte, run to Aspen, wake up the next morning, bike from Aspen to Crest Butte. 
Uh, and then is that, that how that goes? That yeah, that you goes, bike the next morning back to Crescent Butte. The opposite, Savage. opposite way. Yeah. Could you imagine going right back over to those uh, Richmond Hills? There's like seven big hills that you have to go over, and it literally Ian said it perfectly. It's like never ending. It yeah. can't see it ending, and they're pretty steep too. Oh, I remember, I remember that vividly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a beast of a race. It's a good it's a good way to challenge yourself, and if you know if you're up for it, it's it's a really amazing race. And you just see like it's not even a you know I love to do these things because I the reason I was mostly stoked to do this was just because when else do you get to be in high tundra like that in the middle of the night and you know you're at the top you're almost at 12,000 feet 13,000 feet and like you get to the top of star pass and you look up and you know there's no light pollution anywhere so you can see some really amazing things and it's just so quiet peaceful and you descend start pass and i mean we had like alpen glow all to the left clear skies there was no wind or anything it was just like those those are the reasons that you do those types of things or those moments right there there's just like they're so uh small in the grand scope of probably that your whole life and that whole and that race but um just to be able to have like that one little moment and it gives you that rush like that is why i do those things that i love that feeling so yeah yeah and events like that too i mean they take a a form of dedication preparation you know it's like it almost Mm -hmm. the event lasts depending on how how far in advance you sign up for it yeah is seven months right it's like getting your gear and training and making sure you're fit and then come race day am i fit enough did i do everything right for the last seven months so that i can you know have this amazing experience because for me it's like i train yeah to not suffer you know what i'm saying like during a race (laughs) yeah the race itself is amazing it gets you out into the back country but the more you train the less the less you're going to hate the experience. And I, 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 I I'm kind of lying. Cause I, uh, I, I <coughs> push myself to such a limit on my still race. Suffer. I, I still hate it. So, yeah. yeah. So it's not even like, Oh yeah, no, it's like, I don't remember any of my races. I get into yeah. such a black hole of like, let's go. <laughs> well, you're, yeah, that's the... you're a pro too. Or you're, yeah. you're, you're a pro now. Yeah. So you have to go in those certain situations. Yeah. Know? Cause you know, my competition are the fastest guys, you know? So it's like, yeah they're they're taking my whole my whole limit to another level you know so it's like it's different you know if i was out there like that's why i'm feeling that in the next year or so i'm going to transition into ultra bike packing because of that reason is it's like you prep for this experience rather Mm -hmm. than like you train for your level of fitness you know you want to be at the highest fitness you possibly can at every race, if you're racing these like marathons and cycling, and then with bikepacking, it's like, get on your bike to adventure. And that's true. Yeah. You know, I don't have to be doing like these VO two max intervals on, you know, 
Monday afternoon that everyone's like getting off work and I'm out there with 180 beats per minute heart rate. Yeah. <laughs> and the gear too, you know, it's like cool hearing your experience with like prep preparation for the gear, because you wouldn't be able to race if you weren't prepared gear wise. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that's just like any other race, you know, if you're totally, I mean, biking is, you know, anytime you have some sort of tool, I guess you could, you could say a tool that you're using as the medium for your travel. Like you're, you really have to have that dialed in and, and really um, I found that like having all of the gear beforehand, like at least a week before and doing a couple tours with the exact pack that I was going to be traveling with, knowing where everything is and knowing that I have, you know, if this goes wrong, I have this in my pack and knowing like even testing out the weight and blowing the bladder out just to, so it doesn't freeze up all that kind of logistical stuff is will make your race day so much better. <laughs> totally. And it's all like the coolest thing is like, I mean, you're, you're probably still in the same boat. Like you're still learning all these things yeah. as you, as you do these races, each race, that's why I'm so excited to go back and go do it next year is like, you know, I've, I listened to a few guys talk about the grand traverse, but this applies to any racing that you do or any sort of event like this is like, you truly, there's guys that do the grand traverse 20 times. Like there's, there's veterans and they are still learning what works best and everyone does something differently, but each year they're just slowly knocking their times off. If everything goes as planned. <laughs> yeah so yeah and that's the fun thing is like <clears throat> you can never master the ultra world yeah like yeah. something that's... some races are always going to go right and then some races are never going to go right you know it's just like you can't prepare for the for nature you know yeah. yeah 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 i'm curious do you ever have those moments during you know i know you're probably hauling ass but do you ever have those moments where you just look off and like you just look off and and you can kind of have a moment of silence and you know you really appreciate where you are and what you're doing and totally. and everything that led up to that moment yeah totally yeah and i think if i do miss those moments while i'm racing there they are there um hmm. but those moments come when i'm pre-riding or I'm riding after the race, you know, and I actually really get to be in the environment that mm -hmm. I was racing in, you know, because the race itself, it's like, you know, it's, it's all gun ho I'm yeah. on wheels. I'm reading single track. And that's another thing too, is like running, you still have to read single track, but you're mm -hmm. going at such a pace that you can observe kind of where you're at. You know, you can look up, and focus on your breath and like notice where you're at when you're going 18 miles an hour on single track, like yeah, yeah. flat sections, you know, like you're looking at the guy's wheel and you're almost like trying to peek in front of the guy. So you can read single track. Mm. Very little am I going to like look up and be like, wow, this is amazing. Cause then I'm going to go looking at butterflies. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think it, yeah, you know, that's with, style. with cycling, it's just like, I have to be in flow state when that gun goes off. 
yeah. you know and so i'm yeah. i'm all consumed in like what's happening um mm-hmm. like the trail coming uh you know my nutrition my water like everything has to be so dialed every second or else it could be two or three places if you yeah. drop a bottle you know or it's just it's just a different stimulation you know yeah yeah but when you're training i'm sure that every day every, every day, day. I have those moments yeah. you know so yeah. that's the thing is like racing maybe i don't have those moments but uh every day when i'm on my road bike or my gravel bike or my mountain bike i stop and i really you know fully fully envelop into what's happening yeah 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 Yeah, i don't know that's the thing that that i just love that that part of the whole the whole uh like it is i think it is the the training leading up to it really that's the most important thing i love the the race and the event i'm not really that's I'm not really out there to like go and win it, but the experience is just everything up to the experience. And then the experience itself is the best part for me. Yeah. No. And that's, that's most people are like that, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, that's how events should be. That's how prep prep race should be racing. That's how it should be is like, yes, very like you should be fully, in love with what you're doing um in in the category that i'm racing in it's just it's very competitive you know so it's just um there's sometimes money on the line you know i yeah i'm not, in, be dialed in. I'm not yeah. in in the top five to be in the money but i'm trying to yeah. get and still that's if you're in the top 25 at those with those pro guys i mean it's it is they're all fast you know so but that's how it should be. That's what I was saying is like, it shouldn't be you're, you, you're going to sign up for a race and you're going to do everything in your power to try to win it because then you're going to totally miss the whole experience of the actual event. The event. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I get that. How was, um, nutrition? Like, cause Mm. being a cyclist, I know what I, I would use, but like, did you use, um, was it more real food or like goose or granola bars? Yeah. Um, I mostly stuck with, I stuck with the rule of like 200 calories every hour around that. Um, but that said, like I, you know, when you're, when you do those long events like that, you just stop getting hungry. So you really have to pound, put the food in. And, uh, yeah, so mostly goose. Um, so I, I try to calculate how many calories that I would be eating to consume for roughly like a 12 hour race. And, um, mostly goose, I cut up like Snickers bars. This is the first time I tried this. I cut up Snickers bars into like little bite-sized things and then put them in a Ziploc so that I could just keep moving and just put those in instead of chomping on like a big, bar um i did the same thing with granola bars go macro bars those are the best um i did a few goos and then i tried out um baking sweet potatoes cutting up sweet potatoes in the little bite-sized things and then baking them in like a bunch of butter and then just dousing them with salt so that i could just open them up and just pop like some sweet potatoes in my mouth Mm. and uh I 
yeah i i it was it was that was i wish i had ate those earlier in the race but because by the time i got to the sweet potatoes they were like cold and frozen and and i was just didn't want to really put much in my mouth but i bet earlier next time earlier on in the race they were pretty good and with a bunch of butter and salt good yeah. fuel oh so, that's so smart what did they yeah. have? aid stations did you stop at any aid stations get like water or nutrition there too yeah um the first aid station is called geo's i think it's called it's either geo's hut or geo's bonfire and that's right at the base of star pass as you're about to ascend probably the steepest part of the race right at that checkpoint they were allowing eight ounces of water which is like you know, less than a can of beer. So not that much. Um, and then on the other side of star pass though, they had unlimited water. I mean, it's amazing. The people that, that do this event, they have, um, it's just so crazy. Cause you're in the middle of nowhere in the, in the winter. And there's just like, you turn this corner and there's a bonfire with a bunch of people playing music in the middle of the mountains in the winter. And, um, so that at those checkpoints, they had just unlimited water, just someone constantly throwing snow into a big pot with a stove, um, but no food. They, there was one point at, you at a, where is it called? Barnard Hut, right before you start doing Richmond Ridge. Yeah. There was a aid station with hot soup and noodles, and they had tailwind and, and some water. But other than that, there was no no food fully fully supported that's sweet yeah yeah and also could not be sweet at, at the same time you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah not- it, it, go ahead <laughs> no when you do those like you know in, in any event like that there's normally probably i mean i don't know what they have at the bike events they have like potato chips you can get like some coca-cola or something or buffet. no buffet yeah. Yeah, yeah, just tons of stuff. Yeah, so that was another thing that made I like the coolest part about this race was that it had to be fully self-supported, and you're with you had to have a partner, which um, definitely the coolest part about this race, I think. And like a lot of teammates too were. Um, I never thought about this, but a lot of teammates were doing like a tow system where the stronger teammate would hook a rope to the back of his pack and then hook that rope to his teammate and then literally and not drag them but like really help them uh distribute weight and i saw a lot of teammates doing that which i thought i thought was smart it's a good way to it's totally brings in the teammate aspect so yeah if you're like really competitive you want to go and you're tired like tired that's crazy It's kind of like anything goes, really. I mean, anything within limits. I don't think you could just dump your pack at an aid station and just try to make the end. But yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and what were the fast guys doing the Grand Traverse in? First place team got, I think this year it was 647. Oh my God first place time six six forty seven i think i was just about about at halfway at that point (laughs) so they're they're hauling they're really they're really going 
um which is it's really that's really impressive like that is that's amazing for and it was a group of guys but there's tons of women that are like right behind them too it's it's really amazing cannot yeah. imagine going that fast so yeah yeah it's it's nuts yeah they go so fast <laughs> it's kind of Six. when you see them like i remember when i ran camp smith finished in like six hours in the run and i finished at like eleven thirty. i was like jesus christ dude he's been yeah. done sitting on his ass for six hours now <laughs> when i'm just finishing yeah yeah it is pretty amazing like they do tons of videos and stuff afterwards and some scrolling through Instagram at the Grand Traverse Instagram and looking at the videos of the first place team coming in. And it's, it literally looks like the sun was, hadn't only been up for like half an hour. Yeah. It was just so crazy. Uh, you know, but that's like really, that's something I really want to get into. I mean, I don't plan on, being that fast but i would like to year after year knock that time down um and you know like there's so much that goes into play with that i mean the first place teams are doing races like that regularly for sure they're amazing athletes and their gear is just dialed in they've got the the schema thing down so it's really cool yeah cool. yeah yeah which gear kind of can make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the ski world, but definitely bikes, you know, you, you have a big aluminum bike compared to a lightweight carbon fiber and that just cuts down five or six pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the guy that Cam Smith, the guy that regularly, I, I don't think he raced this year, but when you watch, um, there's like a gear, checklist and he's doing like a there's a video of him going through his gear and stuff and everything is just so i mean the backpack is so small i mean and the skis are probably the skinny the boots barely have like a shell around the outside i mean the way that technology is is evolved in these sports it's not just for skiing i mean biking too i can't believe the lightweight aspect to some to some of these um these gear components it's amazing yeah 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 like what is a bike right now like what's the lightest bike mountain bike oh mountain bike you could probably get into like lightest i'm sure a hardtail could be 17 or 18 pounds that's light huh? lightest yeah now you're getting into the full suspension um bikes are 20.2 pounds 19 pounds. Yeah, that's like that's picking amazing. a 20 pound dumbbell. That's your whole yeah. bike. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. everything from the chain to the cassette to the derailleur um, to the frame to even your front fork, everything's light, you know, because it all yeah. has to be light. Your rims, yeah. have to be light, you know, but that's a lot of money, you know, so like, um, yeah. You, like yeah to do these races you don't need that gear you know like but if you're racing at the pro level and you get support of course you want to be on the lightest thing you possibly can but yeah uh, i'm i'm interested to see like where like for me it doesn't seem like it can go any lighter <laughs> but i mean we're we will 
definitely find a way. I just wonder what that's going to be in some of these sports. Like, how are you going to make a bike lighter than 17 pounds, <laughs> you know? Or what, I, you know, I don't, just like what material can you use? I don't know. That's a good question because I think we're coming to a point where we've we've drastically dropped the weight of gear, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I think from now on, we're only going to be able to drop half a pound ish, you know, every yeah. three years on gear, not like coming out with the first carbon bike, you know, dropped three or four pounds off the normal race bike, you know, from now on, I think it's going to be these little tiny increments that are going to drop weight instead of this, you know, Add the pounds. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, or yeah. unless, unless they come up with a new, new way to make a frame, you know, if it's lighter than carbon fiber, they can make a frame out of uh, the yeah. new, the magnesium Olite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <The> magnesium <laughs> Olite. <laughs> oh. Or like, aren't there some of those bikes that just have, I mean, this isn't new, but they just have a single fork. Like that's a way to get, is that, is that a thing? A front, front fork, just like with one of them. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. Like the okay. Cannondale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, talking like the just the single fork attached to yeah. the front tire instead of the double. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like that's a way to say weight, right? That's the that way. was the worst but way to. Explain that. For anyone who rides the the Cannondale single fork, I don't know how you would do it because I like the when I'm riding my trail bike. You know, I really like having that symmetry on both sides. So if I have one fork. Yeah left side it's gonna i think mess, mess you my up brain yeah how does that yeah, yeah. What, what, like if you took like a hit like if you're taking like know. a berm on the left you don't have a shock right there i don't know it take it all it's i don't understand how that works i'm not an engineer i just yeah. write it <laughs> you just do it brian Smith. Hey, i gotta go real quick i'll be right back okay what if they go to like everything's bluetooth so like say you don't even need any like you don't need the chain or any gears but you have like a bluetooth connected to your like somewhere along your leg like how you talk with like watts right? yeah yeah so it does you don't take a chain or anything it just it's on the pedals and it takes how many watts you're putting in and that's how fast you go and it goes to the back tire yeah that'd be like an e-bike yeah. See, that's hard, but, but I like your but you idea. Know what, you know what I mean? Totally. Then you don't need you don't need the ring and you don't need the chain. So there's Bluetooth shifting now. Yeah, there's exactly. a Bluetooth dropper post. Yeah, I don't know if there's Bluetooth lockouts Bluetooth yet. Drop really? Yeah, yeah. So your dropper post is Bluetooth. So you just hit the button, put the seat down, and then it's you hit the button and it just goes right back to where it was. Oh, yeah, it's crazy, and that's light. Yeah, because you're minimizing all of the hardware like the cables and the cable housing that goes to the seat and that goes to the derailleur yeah. and now they just came out with a new SRAM derailleur that's so strong yeah. and it's I saw that what is doesn't it that? yeah what is is that the bluetooth thing or what yeah the it's, it's bluetooth so it's just you you shift and it goes zip, 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 and it shifts to what gear and you it, it's so sick that like if you hit a rock and it gets out of line, it'll go right back to where it was. It'll like, correct. Yeah. If if you 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 do that with a cable derailleur, yeah. you know, you just rip your derailleur and it and it's off. You gotta stop, yeah. you gotta fully readjust it, you know, with the tension and I mean, no, it's or you break your cable, then you don't have a derailleur. 
you know but yeah. it's got like its own like little brain yeah, it just corrects for it. that's yeah, nice. you, you charge this little battery that goes into it huh yeah what happens if the battery dies you have to have a no, a, a spare battery a charger <laughs> no you gotta dude i'm just out there <laughs> yeah your bike. Th that's one thing i've always said is like you know i really like the cable because i'm like old school yeah. that way um i don't know if i could do a bluetooth but people who have a bluetooth say they'll never go back to a cable um because i guess the battery life is insane someone showed i heard a story someone showed up to a race and uh right before they were gonna race they realized that they didn't charge their derailleur battery and it was on red i mean it was dead so before oh. the race he went into his car did it to the, like the cigarette burner um charger charged it for like 15 to 20 minutes and raced for six hours on that derailleur and it, oh, and it was charged yeah it was fun so i cool so i think the derailleurs last a really long time they're waterproof um and they're just strong yeah yeah this is not a paid advertisement but it could be <laughs> <laughs> shram if you're listening yeah shram uh is that a guy <laughs> it's called the stoke podcast yeah stoke yeah. podcast um I'm <laughs> whatever your last name is <laughs> yeah that's crazy dude i don't it'll be amazing to see where all that goes technology wise and how that i mean all that kind of stuff like people there are that there's that camp of people that really don't want to get into electric vehicles at all but i think that is going to be like the new integration into all these sports too you could see it with like um the e-bikes like e-bikes and then even for another example like we were talking about formula one yesterday formula one cars now they have a whole category for e I don't know what they call it, but it's like electric Formula One vehicles. Mm. Uh, so you're going to have that camp, but then you're going to have like the people that will never go from changing their manual transmission <laughs> car, you know, like they just, they want that reliability of, you know, ha knowing that if something goes wrong, they can fix it. They're not going to be stuck out or it's not going to ruin their race. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. Yeah. And that's like, I think with, just our civilization, you know, it takes years, some, some innovation happens and, you know, 10% of the population gets on board. And then the 90% of the population is like, well, but the other stuff works <laughs> really good, you know? And yeah. then five yeah. years later, it's 40%. It? <laughs> yeah. But it, with time, you know, I think more and more people are like, okay, more people are using it. This is more reliable now. And we have more resources to get the new innovation fixed, not the old stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So like, I yeah, don't know. And then each year it just keeps getting better. Yeah. Cause I don't know in the next 10 years, if you know, uh, well, I'm sure in 10, but like 30 years from now, I don't know if a bike mechanic is going to know how to mess with a cabled derailleur. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure the mechanics listening to me right now are like, fuck you, man. That's never going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's just an idea. Like, I could yeah. happen, man. Like, you know, like the cable goes away and so now everything's, everything's wireless or everything's controlled. Yeah, I'm sure the hydraulic brakes, that's going to be interesting what they're going to do with brakes, you know? 
take away those cables. And then now you have like a Bluetooth brake system, which I'm sure they're, oh, yeah. they're working on right now. And if they're not, we're teaming up and we're going to figure it out. <laughs> Did we just start a concept? <laughs> I'm sure someone yeah, thought yeah. of that, but <laughs> well, it's our idea. If you're listening. Yeah. What is that called? We just, we, we had we the idea. We, we, we own that idea. So okay. yeah. So if you guys see uh electric, brakes um on bikes you can thank the stoke podcast electric (laughs) (laughs) oh your your electric brake goes out it runs out of battery (laughs) 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 you need to go to get your brakes no Ah, you're just flying cables (laughs) but yeah i know it's cool and uh yeah, the schema world, I could, if I lived back in Colorado again, I would for sure I know you would. pull into yeah. that. That would be a good yeah. cross. Oh, yeah. That's, all you, that's all you got in Gunnison, Crescent. Yeah. Do you feel like you're in better shape, Ian, after doing, I mean, obviously you're in good shape, but do you think you could like run, I don't know, at least a marathon right now after doing the ski? Because you're saying it's pretty soon. Run, I could run a marathon, but I would be, I'd probably be hurting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The yeah, I was gonna say there's no be hurting. There's no right answer to that. It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, can you ride? Yeah. It's like, yeah, but can I? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You like, know what I mean? Yeah. Mike, you no. can right now. It just would suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it'd be a long day, and I would not be feeling good but i i could run it but it yeah it would not feel good the you know when you're training for like something like the sport specifically like doing the run it's regular that you go out and go run a marathon like just for your training weekend you know which is is crazy to think because you're doing the same distance so it really it really tells you the the types of muscles and the movements that those muscles are responsible for are so important for that race that you're doing, whatever sport it is. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. I think if I had just, you know, got, it, it would be like, that's why I was the, as far as training, I wasn't going to just run and, and hope that that was going to take me through to the end of the race. Cause like, it would be like running for a, 80 mile bike race you know training that like it's just so different your muscles would be gassed by like halfway yeah um so yeah i i think i'm in just i think i am in in better shape than last time i did that race just because like I've, i've just stayed consistent doing being active and staying with the endurance thing i mean Last time I did that race, it was like I had only done a half marathon up to that point and only been running for like maybe a year or something. And then your dumbass called me up and just said, hey, do you want to do the Grand Traverse? And so that was just totally new. I remember doing the first like 16 mile run and being so gassed and like nauseous and having a headache just because the the endurance i mean we all know this like it's just building up the more you do it over time 
And so to be fairly new and then pushing your body to those kind of limits, like doing a 22 mile run for the first time, then doing it again and then trying to go farther and then doing a 30 mile run, like each one of those um, experiences is totally new on your body. And it's the same thing. If you go out and go, you've never done like a hundred miles biking, it's going to be a shock to your system. So I think the fact that I've been staying consistent with that endurance stuff up to this point, I was, I was feeling good even up to like mile 30. I felt pretty good. Yeah. 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 It's like, uh, this muscle memory, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You could just take, it's amazing. Yeah. And consistency over yeah. it. You yeah. Know, if you're just yeah. consistent, it, it, you don't have to, for cycling purposes, putting in 25 hour weeks, you know, like if you just consistently do eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a week, um, yeah. and allow your body to recover and have fun with it and then go run on an off day or do yoga or, yeah. go on a hike or play disc golf, like, or climb, yeah. you know, like all those things yeah. are building, uh, building the reservoir of fitness, you know, yeah. so a lot yeah. of people have that misperception, right? Like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go out there and smash it every week so I can get fitter and fitter and fitter. It's like some weeks you might need to chill and some yeah. weeks you yeah. might need to just blow out oh point. yeah then it then it doesn't become then it's fun. not fun yeah yeah the reason we do it i remember doing uh when i did the run grinch verse we were ascending star pass and and um i know this now and i and, and i had taken extra, plenty of exercise fizz and stuff in college but i guess i just didn't think about it but i was definitely overtrained for that race i think i think i had pushed my body too far and by the time i was ascending star pass on race day like my hamstrings were cramping you know and so i, I think looking back now i was definitely my body was just overstimulated by the whole thing i think it was overtrained my legs were just tired by that by that time so that's yeah it's so important to like let your body just rest, sleep yeah. well, take some baths, like do some different things. I went before the race. It was a week before I was a little nervous about this, but we, um, my family and I went scuba diving like for a week beforehand, before the race. And I thought I was kind of nervous in the back of my head that that was going to ruin all of the training but that's where you just got to tell yourself like you're actually doing something different for your body and letting your muscles heal and and you should be fine from there like yeah dude that's so cool you know because it becomes a a disorder like yeah there becomes yeah. such an addiction to this needing to be the fittest at all times and to even yeah. go on vacation and you don't have a bike or if you don't have bring your running shoes yeah. how how mentally straining that can be and like yeah because i do it you know but i'm i guess i i give myself that leniency though like if if it's been too much on my body like i can give myself that like okay we'll chill you know i'll i'll be on my bike but it's more for the fun of it it's not for the training purposes but do you come back so much stronger than where you left off like truly if I yeah. take a week off the bike right now, I'm sure by next, next week, and I were to do an FTP test, I'd kill it. You know, I would yeah. kill it because your body's fully recovered and all the training you did for the last six months 
of not taking a rest and then taking a rest, you finally allow the body and the nervous system to completely relax. And then that goes into like yoga, you know, like you put so yeah. much strain onto your nervous system, right? If you keep doing that and doing that and doing that, it's going to mess up your sleep. It's going to mess up just the algorithm of your body, you know? So it's cool. Like, yeah, to give yourself leniency and, and more of the story, like consistency is like that leniency instead of like, like building, you know, like the building blocks you guys did for Grand Traverse. Oh, it was too much. Oh, I made that up too. Cause it was my first time doing it. And I, I yeah. started at a, I started at a mile. Why are we listening to Mikey about this? Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I totally messed you up. That was so, like my, no, no, no. making that because I mean, it was, for me, it was more of like a mental thing. Like I've never ran more than five miles in my life. And the first training day was a 10 mile day. And I felt like total dog shit. <laughs> just like, my mom made me do it. She made me sign up 12 weeks on the dot. We had had a training plan. And then just for so we should blame your mom. It was, yeah, it's her fault. She's a, yeah, but like for me, it was just a mental, it was all mental. I had to make sure I could run 30 plus miles before I went to the race day. Yeah, that makes sense. And I destroyed my body doing it. Yeah. And that also, that also, that's good. I mean, because you did like completely train for that mental distance. Yeah. But also like if that was your first time coming into an ultra, you needed to do that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know any different. I have to, I have to know I can make it 30 miles and then I could go downhill. Yeah, I, I can yeah. roll downhill if I have to. So I want to tell yeah. a backstory for everyone who's listening because you know we jumped right into it. Ian and Mike, they ran an ultra marathon, but we're talking the prior training plan. It was very sudden. There wasn't like six months advance. Let's like build a fitness base. So these guys literally would run one mile and then the next day it was three miles and then it was one mile, then six miles, then what, two miles, then 10 miles and four miles. And then it was like, I remember you guys being like, yo, we got a 30 mile training run tomorrow. And I'm like, aren't you guys running in like two weeks, the race? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and then it was a 30 mile run and then your body can't even like fully recover in two weeks, even if you didn't even run. And then you yeah. run an ultra marathon. Yeah. So now, like now it's like the, yeah. With any endurance sport is you train to make, but you like want to make sure that you're healthy at the start line. That's the main thing now is like, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be hurt at the start line. Otherwise you just totally, you ruined your whole experience for you because you train so hard and don't get the, you know, the candy at the end. Yeah. And that comes to, you know, training, like we come back to the beginning is like you train so that you don't suffer through this amazing experience. Right. Like, yeah. Um. So the training, yeah. Yeah. you know, in, in your guys's case for the ultra marathon running you know, you guys did all of this like strenuous, <laughs> so, strenuous so nervous crazy. system stress on your body. And then by the time yeah. you race day, you were putting more strenuous stress on your body. And yeah. so I think it really yeah. took away from actually building fitness. You really just, you got fit. Oh yeah. At, yeah. Like three weeks after the race, you're you yeah. know, build and build and build and you need time to recover. And then you're yeah. there. And then if you were to go on a 40 mile run, I'm sure three weeks later, if you fully recovered, you'd probably cut your time by like an hour, you know, at least. Yeah. 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 Like Jack Starkey bomb. We were talking earlier. 
hitting me, dude. That motherfucker. Oh yeah. Didn't train shit and like was averaging uh, eight twenty. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. But that's what also what we were talking about earlier too is you have to mentally let your you have to let go of your attachment to the you're not gonna be able to make it. Yeah attitude you know you need to bust your ass up until a week before the actual event and then you're gonna be good you you just have to trust that you're gonna be okay yeah yeah Yeah. it was fun though it was really fun like diving in that deep (laughs) i ran with my mom every single day and then the next year i was going on runs with you and jack and those were so much fun just being out there and like moving fast and yeah i thought that was a blast and the training itself is the adventure yeah yeah that every day was an adventure because well with that training plan we were running like 10 miles every day 10 plus miles every day after work but you get like golden hour every single day yeah wherever you're running yeah 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 that overtraining thing is like that's super important but that's another i mean i'm sure you're learning that each time you do it like what do you allow your body to to uh to do every time you race like two weeks before yeah your taper two weeks i'm at the point now where it's a it's a i just don't ride as hard you know but yeah i definitely don't push it the week before race yeah yeah unless it's the whiskey 50 then you have a fat tire crit which is like all out for 20 minutes the day before your race and then race day hits and you're already like tired and you gotta go race <laughs> 50 miles yeah that's just mental fortitude totally yeah, yeah. but yeah Boom. dude it was fucking sick to have you finally yeah thank you guys yeah thanks and for then- having me and we have Mike as the co-host. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. That was fun. Thank you, guys. Thanks for letting yeah. me share a little bit about the Grand First. Come do it next year. Come do the ski. Just get some skis. See it. <laughs> Dude, yeah. just do a random race. <laughs> yeah. I, knowing me, I think I, I would just – I would get way too into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, stick, with, stick with the biking yeah yeah cool well thank you so much all right guys you know the drill stay stoked stoke podcast with ian o'banion co-host michael howard all right guys stoke that fire keep it rolling keep it rolling thank you (laughs) do i leave this no